talking to somebody this last week and um, just talking about life. Not a big subject, but it means a lot to us, right? And so, you know, what do you do with your life? What's my call? And things like that. And, and I'm trying to explain to this person. I was like, you know, here's the interesting thing. Um, God's will is about God. Okay. Um, and I think it's a simple thing that we miss. We think, what is God's will for my life? And if I knew his will, it would be a cool life for me. And we, and we kind of just get locked in this way, and we don't realize that God is moving in this world to accomplish God's purposes. And when we find God's will for our life, we find that we are working now in concert with God's purposes to bring glory to God. Does that make sense? So that's why when Jesus prays to God and says, God, I'm, I'm freaking out here, um, John 17, he's like, not my will, but yours be done. Like, I, I've got my emotions and I've got my feelings, but ultimately here, I have to stay within your will, accomplishing your purposes anywhere else and, and it's not worth being we ask this question what is God's will for my life instead of what is God's will for himself through me so God's will is about God does that make sense if you understand that I think you can understand suffering a little bit more it's like a light bulb it's a circuit so God's will is about God's purposes the light what is it in a light bulb that makes it shine? Anyone? Electrical engineers out there? Filament. What is the filament really? It's a resistor. Right? It's, it's resistance that, that brings... That's why you're, you have a power bill. There's resistance there. Okay? And that resistance makes it shine. What is suffering? There's an opportunity for God to use you in a way that accomplishes His purposes that He wouldn't have been able to do if He hadn't suffered. So Jesus had to suffer to accomplish God's purposes. Paul talks about his sufferings and wanting to share in the sufferings that he might know Christ more and, and that he's being poured out like a drink offering. His labor and energy and, and all this is being poured out as a drink offering to God. So he is saying this resistance is a part of God's plan. And in that, I find peace and joy despite my circumstances. So he says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Because when I'm weak, I know that I'm in the place of, of God's blessing and God's will. Does that make sense? This passage right here that, that Mike was just talking about is a wonderful explanation of God's will is about God. Um, this guy, Jesus could have just like abracadabra'd his eyes. You know what I mean? Like he could have, whatever. A good Harry Potter movie or something. I don't know. Like he could have done something other than sending him. I mean, God spoke the world into existence through words. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Jesus made um, Lazarus come forth by speaking to him. He healed this man's eyes by slapping mud all over his face and sending him across town. God's will is about God. God's will is about God. The opportunities before you in your life are about you co-laboring with God to accomplish His purposes. There's a paradigm 
that we need to grab hold of here that completely changes the way that we see all of reality from I'm struggling, man. Oprah's giving me a little bit. This is giving me a little bit. I found a book that was really good. I'm really struggling to kind of put together my game here. God, help me find your will for my life so that I can get a, a good, you know, I can shoot 72 um, on the golf course with my life. You know, put, a, put together a good package deal for me here um, because I can't quite get it all the way dialed myself. And, and God comes and blows all that away and says, wrong paradigm. Um, I've got a plan for you to work out my purposes. Are you willing to play on my team? Um, I knew Mike would do such a good job that I decided we weren't going to talk about John 9 this morning. So let's go ahead and pray, and we'll we'll go a different direction. Uh, Father, um, I, I do just pray for this church that we would shaken out of our comfort zones, that, that you would do what needs to be done to wake us up, to help us see clearly how, how you would have us approach life, that the glasses that we naturally sometimes look through are the wrong glasses. Like Jesus was always saying that though they have eyes, they do not see. He was always saying of the religious people that though they have eyes, they do not see. And Father, whatever it takes, whether it be a bad economy, whether it be a city that's struggling, whether it be personal suffering, whether it be health problems, whether it be pain, that we would never in a million years want whatever it takes for us to be reconciled to you, that we would see you, not just our own wishes, will, and desire, our own life, our own lot, our own game that we're trying to put together. We, We ask with fear and trembling that you would work that in us, that we might know you better. Whatever you do, don't leave us blind. We were in uh, Grand Rapids this past week, and uh, there's four of us there from Antioch. And if you don't know, World Relief Next, if it's confusing you at all, World Relief Next is Antioch. Antioch is, when it operates in the context of World Relief, World Relief Next. That is who we are. So if you're ever wondering, like, what does that have to do with me? Like, our church is this entity called World Relief Next that's in this collaborative um, kind of relationship with World Relief. We were at a conference in Grand Rapids, paid for by World Relief, amazing kind of a thing, to present um, some concepts and this kind of new paradigm that we've got going a little bit with with missions and how to get the church and bigger organizations to work together um, to kind of find the win-win, to be collaborative. Uh, We were kind of presenting this to 1,200 senior pastors. phenomenally large gathering of senior pastors. And so we presented there, and it was really interesting. We had a table that uh, we were at for the next two days. And, um, and it's really interesting, the people that come talk to you. 
Uh, and there are some amazing, amazing guys that we got to meet and just talk to at length that have the same kind of um, heartbeat and passion that we do. And, and these guys are just sold out. And then there was just some pastors that would come and, and you just kind of get left with this weird taste in your mouth like, what was that, you know? Um, this one guy came up to me and he was from Texas, I think, or the Midwest. And, and he was there and, and uh, he didn't ask me a single question. He kind of asked a question just to get the conversation started, but he didn't even listen to my answer. And, and the next thing I know... He told me how long they'd been in existence, that there were now over a thousand people, and that um, they had just bought 40 acres, and on and on. And then he stopped and said, and we're now, we're, we're now thinking about maybe trying to get involved in the world. I was <laughs> just like, you've been in existence for how many years? You have how many people, and you bought 40 acres, and you, you, you just now thought that it might be a good idea to look outside of yourselves, um, because it's comfortable or I, I don't know it was just really interesting to me and and I kind of you know get left scratching my head and the, the most one of the most interesting conversations Matt who um, is one of the most empathetic people you'll ever meet he he is easy to talk to uh, we'll have a great you'll have a great conversation with him for hours I mean so you need to find Matt that way right and we hadn't slept in three days this team had we had to get up at 3 30 in the morning the night of Fourth of July, right? And there's no hazard pay for pastors, right? There's, this is crazy. So we haven't, literally haven't slept in like three days. So Matt's having like all the real conversations with people and the rest of us are just kind of zoned out. But by the last morning, Matt's kind of really tired, super tired too. And this guy comes up to him in uh, from this really big church and he says to him, um, hey, we've got this, we've got a program for our, our youth with missions, and, uh, but we don't have a program for our adults with missions. We're wondering, you know, do you have a program for us? <laughs> and Matt just looked at the guy and like, wheels, just nothing's there. And he finally just said to the guy, you know, I don't, I don't think we're really going to get along. <laughs> Here's a web page you can go look at maybe, but I, you know, we're, I don't know that we're going to get along. Um, <laughs> And the, it was so funny because the guy was coming in with a paradigm that was facilitating, I think, one of the biggest, uh, one of the most awful problems in the church. And what he was operating within was a paradigm that says the church is a circus. The church is a circus. We, as the church, exist to put on some kind of a show and have a lot of cool programs for you, the people that come to church. So this guy was coming up to Matt and basically saying, hey, we've got the, like, woman with the beard, you know, or something like that. We've got the trapeze act. We've got the, um, we've got the elephant show. But we really need the guy that like gets shot out of the cannon. We don't have that. Do you guys have something like that for us? It'd be really cool if we could add the cannon guy, you know, like the helmet, you know, in the big tent. Um, that would really round it out so that when people come to our circus, we've, we've got all the programs there for them. And, and we've got it in a better, fuller way than maybe other churches do. We're, we're a really good circus. And uh, 
That's not God's plan for the church at all. And so I, you know, was flying back and uh, I was in a complete sleep-deprived fog. And, and um, so it was interesting just having a lot of thoughts and asking a lot of questions. And, uh, and that just kind of was where I started from. Like, are we perpetuating a circus spirituality? A circus spirituality. And if we are doing that because that's kind of the culture out there, and, and you give the customer what the customer wants, so people want programs and they want to be entertained, so, oh, let's give that to them, and then we facilitate that or perpetuate it, we drive something else that I think is a little bit more um, subtle and a little bit more insidious. And that's, um, that's this, that there's always more that can be added, or there's always more that can be done in terms of spirituality. Let me, let me put it in a, in a question here. Is there a ceiling to spirituality? Or is there no ceiling to spirituality? Is there always more that you could be doing is there always more church events that you could be going to? Is there always more time you could spend in the Bible? Is there, is there always more than what you're doing? Or is there a ceiling to spirituality? And I think the church is creating a view of spirituality that says there is no ceiling. And we're tyrannizing it's a, it's a tyrannical thing because it's oppressive. You will never do enough. There's always more. More that you could read, more that you could say, more that you could engage in. More, more, more. And because of that, we end up giving a view of God that I'll explain in a minute. But there's no ceiling. So what we say is this. Um, there's the stuff in life over here and then there's all this stuff you can do that's really spiritual. And since there's no end to Christian books or no end to how much time you can put in the Bible or no end to people that you can talk to about God, um, there's no limit to spirituality. And so there's this obsessive thing that we have to like do now as Christians where more and more of life is bad because I have to spend more and more of life in this spiritual realm to try, ever try to get higher and higher even though there's no ceiling. So the ascetics, um, asceticism is this idea of like punishing self. And a couple hundred years into Christianity, there were ascetics, and this was their view of spirituality, that, man, the more I could push life away and get over to the spiritual realm here, the more I could get to where there's this ceiling of spirituality and be all the way there. So there was guys that would go to the desert and like eat only whatever. There was guys that would sit on the top of poles, like pole and like a little platform and, and full exposure of the sun and there was no sunscreen and they would blister and burn and just be eaten up by the sun on a pole for everybody to see by themselves 
nowhere to go to the bathroom. They were so, like, removing themselves from the earth, from everyday life, from all of this, so, like, punishing their body, so to speak, that they were putting themselves over to spirituality, purifying themselves. Is, is, is this what we're doing with this circus Christianity? Like, the, you guys aren't doing enough. There's more, 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 more. You just, just get out of life and over to here, and you can just run this race and try to do more, 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 and you're always going to feel like there's something more you can do, and you're going to be so far removed from everyday life that it's, it's what the heck's going on, right? Okay? And then there's going to be people over here that realize, I can't keep up with that. I've got a wife. I have some ideas for my time. I've got kids. I've got to put food on the table. I guess I'm just not going to be that spiritual. I'll leave that to other people. I'll kind of just accept my own failure. I'll check out on church. Maybe my wife will elbow me or hassle me to go. But I'll hate it. Because guys hate feeling what? Inferior. And we hate losing. God built it into guys to win. And it's a good thing because we try to win for our families, don't we? Like it, it, there's a strength to winning. But we can't win in this game. The people that win in this game are the ones that have ridiculous amounts of time and really know how to say spiritual words in cool ways. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm half joking, but I'm also half serious, and this isn't meant to be a slight on anybody. Please hear me. Because there's reasons why we do everything that we do. And I think there's a lot of good intention people out there, but they come up in a tradition or kind of get taught a certain way. But in this realm, you don't say Jesus, you say Jesus. I'm, I'm not trying to offend here, I'm serious. In this realm, the spiritual emphasis is the value. Inter interesting thing is if, if I was in a room and somebody said, Can! I wouldn't even know they were talking to me. They wouldn't even get my attention. Because okay? communication is about simplicity. The greater the simplicity, the greater the dialogue. The greater the complex complexity, there's like an imbalance between who's talking and who's listening or who's listening and who's talking, right? So if, if spirituality is about a relationship, then simplicity of dialogue, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done, not mine. Um, bring it about on this earth like you do in heaven. Forgive me today of, you know... When we're over in the spirituality zone here, it's about how we do it because it, it's an ever-increasing, how can we add more spirituality to what's going on? Um, and that, again, isn't meant to be a slide on anyone, but when we begin to think through some of the things we do and why we do them, we begin to see we're caught up in a paradigm of spirituality it's, it's really tyrannical. I um, read a verse recently. You can turn to it with me if you want, but it's in Titus. 
It's, Titus is just a small book, and it's Paul writing kind of pastoral counseling to a pastor. Paul's a missionary. Titus would be kind of more like a pastor kind of a deal. And it's interesting what he says. It's just, it's just uh, three little chapters, and in, verse, or in chapter 3, verse 4, it says this. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. How did you guys remember how Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit at the end of the Gospels? He, he breathes on the disciples. How did God create the world? He spoke it into existence. We don't see day one, God rolled up his sleeves. Day two, God put on his work boots. Day three, God spoke it into existence. Jesus breathed the Spirit onto them. Moses in the desert is with a bunch of people that are freaking out and going, God's not big enough, we're starting to worry You've got to do something now to help us out. And so God says, you know what? These people have weak faith, but okay. Speak to that rock, Moses. I'll prove to them that I've got it under control. There's not this sense of urgency or panic or the need for you guys to work that I've got you by the power of, of even my, my words. Speak to the rock, water will come out of it. Moses screws up. Moses is caught up in the anxiety, he's caught up in the tension, he's caught up in everything that's going on, he's, he's frustrated, he, he feels like something has to be done, and so he takes his staff, which is, is kind of where a miracle had come from before, and he hits the rock, and what happens? Water comes out. But God says, no, 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 no. It wasn't just about feeding bodies. I wanted to feed some souls too. I wanted to communicate through this, some truth about myself that would help them understand that God's will is about God and God is the one that will make sure that it comes home. And that you just need to sit there and trust me. I wanted you to speak so that it would be me doing the miracle, not you taking the rod and you doing the miracle through action and working. You messed it up, Moses. And we are doing the same thing, I think, as church leaders in America. We're, we're hitting rocks with sticks. We're building circuses. We're, we're creating this never-ending potential of spirituality that just utterly shuts you down. Watching the Tour de France yesterday, it was crazy. Um, the whole thing's crazy. I'm kind of getting into biking now. I don't, I don't understand all of it. It's really fascinating strategy. But they're going up these mountains, like crazy mountains. And y'all all you kind of want to stay in this thing called the Peloton. What language is that? Anyone know? Is, is it French? Greek? What? So Lance on hey Lance, uh, the Peloton's actually Greek. No it's not. Lance you're wrong. It's Greek. Uh, you want to be in this thing called the Peloton. 
which is the main kind of group where all the real people are. Now, if you can't keep up with them, you fall off the back is what it's called. Fall off the back. Um, um, this is all new to me, right? Um, you fall off the back, and basically, I was watching yesterday in this mountain stage, this guy just falling off the back, and what he's doing by falling off the back is, is basically saying, I can't keep up. They have the ability to climb this mountain in a way that I don't have the ability to climb this mountain. Let them go. We have the Peloton, which are the Christians who are able to kind of do just enough, look like it's just enough to be spiritual. And then we have the people who fall off the back. I can't keep up. You read a book a week, I can't even read a book in a year. Um, you go to like four meetings a week at night, like, I mean, I'm lucky to fall into bed at like 7 o'clock and fall asleep on the couch at 8 o'clock, um, and I'm terrified that my kids are just walking off the deep end. I can't keep up. I'll fall off the back. I'll, I'm a second-rate Christian. I'm just going to accept I can't keep up. We've created this kind of thing where it's all about working really hard and having a capacity to like pursue spirituality through your works and your time and your energy. And there's a whole lot of us that just are falling off the back. Here's where um, Paul goes with Titus. So how does God do this? Not because of our pedaling really hard. God does it with us sitting there um, not because of our righteous acts. We're always doing them because we like that stuff. But not because of that. He just does it. He speaks it in like, like he always does. And, and if the church is going to come back to, together and, and be what the church was supposed to be, it's going to be because God speaks into it and reconstitutes it. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be this divine thing where God brings us together again on even playing field nurturing and encouraging one another and saying, man, life is tough. Isn't it unbelievable and amazing how big our God is that He loves us and He comes here and He pulls us together that we get to walk not alone but with, with one another. And so here's where Paul goes at the end of Titus. And he says this, um, verse 14, Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. in order that they may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. What is the good that Paul was talking about here? They must learn to evangelize to everyone that sits next to him on an airplane. It's relevant to me because I put, my, I'm a, I put headphones in on the airplane. I feel guilty every time. Because I hear these great stories of pastors that save like half airplanes and stuff like that every time they fly. And I get on an airplane, I'm like, I haven't slept in six months, and now I'm away from my kids. I can like, I, I'm going to sleep, you know, and I put on the headphones. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing good. Showing it up at every single church function. What is good? Reading every latest Christian book that the Christian marketing world tells you you have to read. Saying words in extra uber spiritual ways. What is doing good? We must devote ourselves to doing what is good. 
Good is what results in providing for daily necessities and living a productive life that way. For Paul, as a missionary, this is fascinating to me. What would you think a missionary would say to people halfway around? If I was a missionary and I was writing to people in Africa, halfway around the world, what do you think I'd be saying to them? And I think we've grown up in a culture that thinks we'd be saying, share the gospel with every single person you meet. There is nothing else that matters. Do that and you will whatever. Paul's saying, uh, learn to work hard. Keep a, keep a job. Have a good reputation for how you labor and are responsible to provide for the things that you are entrusted to care for. Your family, your kids, your, your parents who may be elderly, your, your community. You work hard and set an example because... You know what? In this world, people don't do that very well. And that's a part of a just society. It's a part of what God intended in the beginning is that people would work naturally well in communities as a good society. And Paul's saying, be good, pursue good, work hard, be responsible. It's okay if you fall asleep at 8 o'clock on the couch. Know that you're doing good. Know that you're providing an example. Know that you're leading a productive life. Men, walk in with your calluses, walk in with the rings under your eyes to church on Sunday mornings, and hold your heads high. I remember when I got married, like, I, for a while there, I was like, man, this is really hard. I was in seminary by myself. I could do all these things. Then I got married. My time just got cut in half. My wife must be the problem. And I was like, you know what? Paul knew what he said when it's better to be alone and when you get married, it's the things of this world. And geez, God, how am I going to put up with this now? The rest of my, you know, um, that was then, okay? Very, 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 very young then. And all of a sudden, one day it dawned on me. This was God's plan for me to be married the beginning of Genesis, it's not good for man to be alone. It's, it's God's plan for me. And my way of honoring God, God's will for my life that's about God, is this person in my life and me doing a good job. Me doing good with these very earthy, natural, spiritual, regular life things. That I honor God through my relationship with my wife, not apart from it. Do you see the ascetic kind of, I got to push away from everything that's holding me down so that I can feel good about doing good. It's the ascetic vibe, right? The things in this life that are mundane, I, they're the problem, not the opportunity. And I'm just trying to say, um, God didn't create a circus. God didn't create weird churches. God didn't, on day eight, create the church, look at it and say, it is weird. Like, he looked at it and said, it is good. Why is it good? Because it's, 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 it lightens the burden, and it brings people together, and it allows for community and encouragement and fellowship. It is good through the very things that are, that are this life, 
the majority of this life, that are natural, that, that sometimes are messy, that, that sometimes are earthy, through those things we get to work and do good and be responsible and honor God and set an example of a productive human earthly life. This is what Paul the missionary writes halfway around the world. This is what we in Bend, Oregon need to hear. That there is, there is a ceiling to spirituality. There is no ceiling, though, to a desire to honor God through the things that He puts in your life. It's where the Reformers came along and they said, you know, there's a, all throughout Scripture this tagline at the end. To God be the glory. And what they began to realize was that there was no division like between the churchy things and being a blacksmith. The blacksmith working hard to honor God, to glorify God, can be even more spiritual than the person giving communion or mass or, or doing spiritual things depending on what's really here. Because we have a never-ending ceiling to spirituality, here's what we do to God. Um, the Antioch CD has a name, Called You By Name. Justin wrote a lot of those songs, and that theme kept coming up. And uh, this morning we heard an intern talking about this Called You By Name. We think God is at the top of the hill with the fast riders calling us by name to hurry up and get there. We begin to see God tyrannically. God is an old man to us, and there's two ways you can see old men. Um, and all the scary movies where the old man is scary. Seriously, you know, that's a symbol, right? It is a symbol in literature and in movies that you can take the old man who is so other and different from the young teenagers that because of that, that, that lack of understanding and distance, it can be scary and ominous. But then in a lot of movies, what happens? The young people build a relationship with the old guy and they realize that sometimes with age comes um, this grand sense of grace. My, my grandfather was this way. That, that age sometimes brings fullness and maturity and wisdom and, and that kind of grandfatherly idea says what? It says grace and acceptance, and patience. We've created the, the first kind of old man at the top of the hill, calling us to work harder. When in reality, Scripture says, God was always in the middle of community, and we leave Him, and wander out where it is going to be bad for us, and we're going to get hurt, and we're not going to know happiness, we're not going to know joy, we're not going to know peace. And God cares because He's like the grandfather, and He's got grace for us and patience, and He's calling us back by name. And it's an easy return. It's, it's come back over here. I can lighten that load. This is where you were meant to be. My will for you to be a part of my work in this life is not oppressive. I made you, I gifted you, I've called you. Don't you think that the areas I'm going to lead you will be good ones? Do you think I'm like playing games? Wow, let me run the car into the wall. It's like the masochistic kid. 
that just loves to hurt and damage and cause pain. And the minute he gets his hand on the toy, instead of driving it on the track, he's like crashing it into things and breaking it in two. And you know what I'm saying? Like all he wants is destruction, that kid. God's not like that when he's in charge of our lives. There's two ways we can see old men. The circus spirituality has God as a ringmaster. It's, it's just, we can't connect, and so we walk away. The God of the Bible has God there patiently and lovingly calling us back with grace. Please return to me. I want what's best for you. I care about what's best for you. And here's the kicker, and we'll, we'll close on that, and we're going to sing all our songs, Justin. We're going to be like five minutes late, but that's cool. Um, it's not a circus at Antioch. We don't have to end right on time. Hopefully you guys are cool with that, right? Some of you like are really time conscious and it really bugs you. Um, sorry. Um, it's not a production here, okay? But here's, um, now I forgot what I was saying. Uh, here's what I think I need to say in and I say this with humility, okay? Because um, it puts me in a really awkward spot. Throughout Scripture, when God is trying to call His people back to Him, do you know who He was usually trying to call them away from? Often, who He was calling them away from? He's calling them away from the religious leaders who were winning at the spirituality game and are keeping these people locked in this ridiculous pattern. Jesus says, man, these religious leaders, they heap up burdens. There's there's no ceiling. Keep working harder. (laughs) And they don't even lift a finger to help you. You exist for them. You know a good pastor when he cares about you, not about himself through you. Um, and, And it's a messy thing, whatever. But the... The idea is the religious leaders often utilized power and authority to keep people oppressed, spiritually oppressed. And, and God's often, through the prophet or through Jesus or in different ways, even discipline, trying to shake his people free from the grasp of the people in control and get them out of the circus and back out onto the margins of life where he's at and where he can relate to him. Where did Jesus go? He didn't go to Jerusalem. He didn't hang out with the religious leaders. He didn't go into their, their systems and their structures. He went out to Galilee on, on the shores of the lakes with the fishermen, with the messy people, and he pulled them around him. And he, for, for the large part of his earthly ministry, kept them away from the religious leaders. God cares about you so much that he wants to rip you out of the hands um, of the circus church or circus spirituality. He doesn't want to be seen as the old scary guy. Jesus said the two greatest things are what? Love for God and love for your neighbor. The first thing we got to get rid of if we're going to love God We have to desire God. We have to see Him as as desirous and and pleasurable. And that relationship, more than any other relationship, I want to be in that relationship. And the first thing that has to disappear if we're going to see that is the 
scary old man idea. If we give it all to God, trust God that he'll give it all back to you and he will cheerlead you probably in the very things in life that you want to do, that you're good at, that you're gifted to do, that you're excited to do, that you get to win at. Um, the band's going to come up. Let's close in prayer. Father, may we do all things to your glory. May it become our greatest joy to do all things to your glory. Even if we're a blacksmith, no matter what we do, that we are content to work hard, to be productive, to do good, to be a part of your plan for your purposes. And that we can rest in that. Pray that we wouldn't be tyrannized by the Christian world with all its oughts and its shoulds and its standards and ever-increasing seeing. Liberate us, free us. As it said in John 8, if the Son has set us free, we are free indeed. Father, to you all, all we give, because we know you're trusted.